I want you to close your eyes and just imagine this scene with me. And if you were here last time, it's going to sound familiar because it's a, a similar passage that Joe talked about from uh, Mark's account. But we're going to go in a little bit deeper into this story that happens right after Jesus' baptism and he goes into this time of testing in the wilderness. So this uh, starts in Luke chapter 3 and then really we're going to focus in on, on Luke chapter 4. So close your eyes and just kind of imagine this scene if you're, uh, if you're willing to do that. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was very hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. All right. The end, for now. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into uh, this story. In Mark's gospel, all of that is about like two sentences, right? <laughs> um, but this idea of our identities is such a core foundation, and that's what we're really focusing in on over these first few years, or first few, first few years as a church together. Uh, first couple months of this year, we are leaning into identity, and we want, to, we want to discover all that God has for us in this so that we can move forward with Jesus into everything that he created us for. So I want to tell you a quick story. It's a long story that I'm going to try to tell quickly, uh, but back when I was in college, in I think it was my second year of college, which was 2005, um, I was thinking it was like 10 years ago, but... 
I was telling this recently, and Rachel said that was 20 years ago. Uh, so I don't have as much experience as you, John, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, I was a part of this, it was called a spiritual life club, um, the, the student-led um, organization on campus where we led a campus church, and I was in the worship team, and it was just a really cool uh, thing to be a part of. But for some reason, some of our leaders wanted to do this exercise where they said, come to this classroom at this night, and they had moved all of the desks and everything out of the way, completely emptied the building, and they told the story that, that we read in, Gen uh, in Genesis where um, um, uh, Jacob wrestles with God. I'm sorry, I blank for a minute there. Jacob wrestles with God, and he has this encounter where God blesses him, and he changes his name. And this was the, this was the point of the exercise that we were going to do. God wants to bless us and give us a new name that is different from what the world has called us. And to do that, we're going to have to wrestle. And so a couple of my friends came out and started wrestling me. I was on one side of the room, and the kind of the exercise was, if I can get to this side of the room then God will bless me and give me a new name. And I'm a little bit of a stubborn guy, and I also wrestled in high school, and back then I was like wiry, and uh, I was like, I can take these guys. And so I think there were three, two or three guys, I think it was three, and we spent probably an hour just wrestling on the floor, <laughs> me trying to get to the other side of the room. And eventually, I guess the point of the exercise, I'm not really sure, uh, was to just surrender and receive what God wanted to give us, right? And so uh, finally at some point I, I just relented and I said, okay, like, I guess I need help. And in that moment we, we did this, this exercise where we looked at what is the name that the world has called us? What is the identity that I have found myself living in, whether that's imposed by other people upon me or just one that I've made up and I'm choosing to live in? And in that moment, I felt like the name that I was living in was failure, that I just, I couldn't do it. And of course, it didn't help that I couldn't defeat these guys in the wrestling match that we were having there in the classroom. Um, but I was living in the identity of a failure. There were all these expectations on me, so much that had been uh, put out in front of me, so much that I felt like uh, my life was, was all about that I was invited into, and I just could not live up to it. That was the identity that I was living in. And in that moment, I felt like God said, your new name is chosen. And so my identity switched from this one of, of, of being a failure, not being able to do it, to be uh, chosen by God into relationship with him, into everything that he has for me. Similar to what we see in the baptism of, of Jesus, which Joe really highlighted last time. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased, who I love in whom I am well pleased. Have you ever had an encounter like that with God? Where you recognized you were living in some identity and God called you out spoke a new name over you, a new identity, a new future, and then led you forward. In that moment in my life, I experienced a ton of transformation. I was also um, uh, just experiencing the Holy Spirit in really cool, powerful ways. It was in that season of life where I 
walked into a vineyard church in Chattanooga for the first time, started learning about kingdom theology, started experiencing the power of God in worship in this really intimate and cool way. But it was this identity piece that is so crucial to where we're going and understanding who we are that I want all of us to grasp. And so I want to give us just a picture to help us understand how this works. There's um, a, a book called Covenant and Kingdom written by a guy named Mike Breen that, that really helped uh, me, me picture this and understand this. And he wrote a book that, that describes um, the DNA of the Bible as these two themes, covenant and kingdom, that's interwoven throughout the entire pages of the Bible. And so as you read the Bible, we're not going to read the whole Bible today. Uh, but you can see these themes connected and interwoven throughout all of the pages. And he depicts it like this. The first is, is covenant. It's about our identity. And the idea is that it starts with the Father in heaven, the one who created us, the one who loves us, uh, the one who knows everything about us and still loves us. He speaks our identity over us. We receive our identity from the Father and then out of our identities, we obey. We walk in obedience. This is how we live. It's based on who we are and everything that we've received from God. Covenant is all about relationship. A covenant is entering into this lifelong agreement where both partners agree to give everything they have to the other. And so in this situation, we give everything that we have to God and we receive everything of God into our lives. We receive everything. Everything that is true of Jesus now becomes true of us when we enter into this covenant relationship. There's also another theme that is very connected, but it's, it's kingdom. So covenant and kingdom are the two um, shapes that we want to look at. And it's very similar, but it starts with the king. And out of our relationship with the king, he gives us authority to be able to use power. And out of that authority that he gives us through our relationship with him, we walk and we live and we extend, we share, we express power. This is what Jesus came to do, right? To destroy the works of the devil. He walked in power, but it comes through our relationship, through our identity. Does this make sense? These pictures have, have kind of been ingrained in my head for uh, about 10 years now. And it's just really helpful. And the, the, the key part of this is that you have to go in the right order. It has to start with the father. It has to start with the king. We have to receive our identities from him. We receive our authority from him. And out of that identity and authority, we live our lives of obedience or of power. So the problem comes, there's a bunch of ways that we uh, get it wrong or mess it up or just <laughs> don't live out this perfect ideal, right? We're all learning and growing in this, but I've tried out a lot of ways of doing this. None of them are great, um, but one of the problems comes when we start with obedience and we try to move from obedience to receive our identity. It's all about our performance. Sometimes we call it like legalism, right? Like I've got to follow all the rules and do this just right and then I'll be a child of God and then I'll have access to the Father. The problem with this is it's terrible. It's not any fun. And it's not how God designed our relationship to work. 
It starts with the Father, and we receive our identities through grace. This is just an act of grace. I, I receive this from you. There's nothing that I can do. Paul says that we're all in this same situation, that, that God has poured out his mercy on us so that nobody can boast. We just receive it through grace, and then we live that out through faith. This is what God has said about me. This is what God has done in Jesus. I, I choose to receive that with grace, and now I'm going to live that way, believing that it's true. That's the faith part, right? So we, we walk that out. This is how it's supposed to work. Another way that we mess it up or we, we um, you know, get it kind of backwards is we replace the Father with other things. We find our identity in other things. We might not think of them as gods, but this is another theme throughout all of the pages of the Bible. The Bible calls it idolatry, right? Taking anything, even good things, and making it the ultimate thing. Making it the thing that gives us our our identity, our approval, all of these things, um, it's idolatry. And again, it's not how it was designed to work. I've also tried just rejecting this altogether and uh, not living in my identity, not trying to obey the rules, uh, not having a relationship with the Father. That didn't work out for me either. Uh, Jesus just kept coming after me. So does this make sense, this shape? We could probably spend the rest of our time just going deep into this, but I just want to use this kind of as a foundation for everything that we're going to talk about. Um, okay, so this is how it's, it's supposed to, to, to work. And again, these two themes are really connected. It's out of our identity that we receive our authority. And that life that is lived through faith is how we, we express, we, we um, obey, we walk in power to share that with the people around us. Okay. So I want to go back to this Luke 4 passage, this temptation of Jesus. And there's three lies that I want to um, just unpack really quickly. We could probably spend a lot more time on this as well. Um, but there's three lies of identity that we find in this passage. And uh, the first is, our, our, the first temptation, the th let me say this this way. The three temptations are appetite, ambition, and approval. Any way that we try to receive those things from anyone other than our creator God, our Father in heaven who loves us, is going to end up resulting in death, enslavement, not experiencing the fullness of life that God came to give us. And so as we think about this, our, our appetite, we look at the, the first temptation, right? If you are the son of God, you're really hungry, turn these stones into bread. Henry Nouwen, um, a really amazing author, spiritual director guy, he, he talks about the three lies of identity. And they're, they're directly connected to these temptations that Jesus battled in the wilderness. They all start with that same uh, question, if you are the son of God, if you are who God has said you are, uh, the three lies are this, I am what I have, right? So it's connected to our appetites, and it's this fear of not having enough. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> I see those hands. 
Am I going to be provided for? Like, is there enough in the bank account? And by the way, these are like real fears. <laughs> um, but when they come in direct opposition to our identities, there is a problem, right? And we can, we can end up living these out in really unhealthy ways. So it's the fear of not having enough. The, f- the first lie is, I am what I have. The second one connected to our, our ambition is, I am what I do. I am what I do. Again, so this is kind of that performance issue. It's the, the guilt of not doing enough. Anyone relate to this one? I just feel like there's, I should be doing so much more. I should. I ought. We tried to live this out together as a family, but we don't believe in shooting ourselves. <laughs> shooting ourselves. Okay? <laughs> I am what I do. So uh, I want to just kind of hone in on this for a minute. When, what I've realized in, in that story that I told about when I received my identity, it, it's not failure, that it was chosen, that I've actually, it, it's really powerful and it's really true, but I can actually live that out in, from a sense of obligation and like, man, God chose me. I better get my crap together. God has a calling on my life. I'm screwing it up. You see, the, I put all of the pressure on myself to make that true. God said it, and I believe that, but I wasn't living it out in faith in relationship with him. So, so this second lie, I'm, I am what I do. And the third lie is connected to that temptation about approval. I am what other people say or think about me. This is the shame of not being enough. What do other people think about me? What are people saying about me? Social media is really helpful for this, right? Amen. Are people liking my post? That was a really awesome tweet I put out there. I am what other people say about me. Do you see the connection here with all these? There's this temptation that the devil comes. And by the way, Jesus experienced the real temptation of all of these things. He completely identified us with us in every way as a human. And he overcame them through the power of the Spirit. So we could spend a lot of time here, but what resonates with you the most? Where do you feel the most temptation over your identity? Have any of these lies maybe subconsciously taken root in your mind or in your heart? And one last thing that I want to say about this is that these desires are not bad. Like we were designed to have these desires for other people to meet in our lives. We were designed to be in relationship. We were designed to be a part of a community. They are not bad, but they need to be rightly ordered. They need to be fulfilled first in our relationship with our creator, God. And if you're like me, most of us try to find freedom by either just powering through doing it on our own, or by just trying to forget and distracting ourselves. This is where our culture lives. So you can go back later. We're not going to do this right now, but you can go back later and look at that Luke 4 um, passage and see every temptation that that the devil gave to Jesus or came at him with, and you can track these all the way through. 
But what I want to talk about now as we move into the, what is the solution? What do we see from the, the life of Jesus? Are there specific practices uh, specifically for us as a, as a community as we're talking about developing a shared way of life that we can invite the city into? Putting the teachings, the practices of Jesus uh, into work in our lives, following him, learning and experiencing these things. How do we resist the temptation of the enemy to experience the truth and the power of our identity that comes from God? And here's what I want to say. The solution is learning to abide. Learning to abide. I think we've mentioned this in most of our messages so far this year, but John 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me in the same way the Father has loved me, I have loved you, now remain in my love. Stay in my love. Dwell. Make your home in my love. Don't leave my love. Stay here. This is not just a temporary thing that you experience once or even once a week. Go out living your life abiding in my love. And so the world around us is constantly forming us in its image. We've talked about this idea of counterformation over and over, right? Like society, culture, the, the things that we listen to and engage with uh, subconsciously, not always even negatively, but they're always forming us in its image. And so uh, abiding is a counterformation practice. And what I really want to encourage us in is that abiding is resistance. Abiding in the love of God, receiving his love, is actually a form of resistance against the enemies to our souls. And resistance builds power. You see, the good news is that what was true about Jesus in that moment of his baptism, what Joe had us, you know, memorize the scripture last time about, anyone who belongs to Jesus is a new person. We are part of the new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. The paradox is that is true right now. And we are also in the ongoing process of learning how to live out that truth for the rest of our lives. And this is why learning to abide, prioritizing it in our life is so important. And so I just want to look at kind of three aspects of abiding. By the way, when we talk about abiding, really what we're focusing in on is being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. It's a way of receiving his love. It's a way of receiving through grace our identity that he speaks over us. You are my son who I love in whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter whom I love in whom I am well pleased. And so three practices that I want to talk about within abiding to combat the three lies that we see in this uh, passage. And they're all really connected. Do you remember a, a couple times ago, if you were here, we did a, a centering prayer practice where we did palms down and palms up. And it was just this really simple way of releasing everything that we were carrying so that we could receive everything that God wants to speak to us. And I think abiding is the exact same way. And so all of these practices, they're all interconnected. But think of them as just... Uh, physical ways or spiritual ways, you know, we're, we're all connected, in, embodied people, um, that we can release the things of this world so that we can receive our identities from the Father and be loved. 
The first one is uh, silence. I'll, I'll just tell you all three. Silence, solitude, and stillness. Rest. So if we think about that first lie, um, I, I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say about me. These are three practices that specifically combat every one of those lies. And this is what Jesus did. He, we, he went off into the desert. And this, by the way, wasn't a one-time thing. He was fasting and praying. That, was, that is part of the abiding when he goes into the desert uh, the whole time. But silence. Okay, it's, it's quieting all of the, the other noises. Getting rid of all of the distractions so that we can listen to the voice of the Father affirming his love for us. The point of silence is not to hear nothing. The point of silence is to hear God. Solitude, getting away from the people in our lives. By the way, people in our lives are really good. They have a lot of power. And they can also really jack us up. That's why we want to build a healthy family together as Jesus works in us. But solitude is not about being alone. It's getting away from the other people and the kind of the scaffolding, the things that we tend to rely on so that we can be with God. We can be present to our Father. Because when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was not alone. He got away from the disciples. He got away from the crowds. He got away of the busyness of life. But he wasn't just down there just having me time, me and Jesus. No, he was being with the Father. He was hearing that voice that spoke from heaven affirming his identity. The cool thing that happens is that when we practice this and we learn to receive from the Father, we become present to God. We also learn how to be present to ourselves and be present to the other people so that when we come out of these moments, we can actually live in right relationship. And the last one is stillness. If you're like me and you believe that lie often of I am what I do, it is profound resistance to stop producing anything. To just be still. To let go of our, our need for control. Trying to control every outcome. Stop our striving, our activity, and earning. Just receive the Father's pleasure. I think one of the coolest parts of, about that baptism story is that Jesus had done zero ministry at that point. God wasn't like, look at all the cool stuff my son has done. I'm so proud of you. No, he said, you haven't done anything yet in your public life of ministry. And I'm so pleased with you. This is who you are. We receive that through grace. And then we can live out of that in the world around us. Are you tracking with me? Do these things, you see how they kind of line up together? We have these temptations. We have these lies about our identity. And we also have these specific practices that allow us to hear the voice of God, to be present to him with us, 
and to rest in his pleasure over us. By the way, the way that Jesus specifically combats all of these lies is through scripture. So these things are not like separate from scripture. It also says that he was praying the entire time. Our abiding practices as we think about them in, in our way of life that we're developing together are all these things. Prayer, fasting, scripture, silence, solitude, stillness. These are the ways that we spend time being with Jesus. So my question to you is, how can you practice that this week? Does one of these resonate with you more? Do you feel a sense of invitation? Do you feel a sense of, ooh, that, that lie is really, yeah, I'm kind of falling back into that. And again, there's no shame here. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. You are a son and a daughter in whom he is, with whom he is well pleased. But he wants you to be free. He wants us to live our lives in wholeness. All right. You with me? Amen. All right. Five more minutes. Hopefully. We're going to do this. Uh, there is a missing piece in all of this that's really easy to miss. You see, it's possible to hear a message like this, to look at Jesus um, and say, I, I want to be like him. I'm going to go out. And, and by the way, like this season of Lent, if you're following along with that at all, this is what um, Christians have been doing for thousands of years. We've been following Jesus on his journey into the wilderness so that we can follow him to the cross, so that we can follow him all the way to resurrection, to new life. But the truth is, we can't do this on our own. See, it's, it's possible, and I spend a lot of my time subconsciously doing this, is that we hear this message and we think, okay, again, like for me, I'm chosen. God expects a lot of me. I gotta go be like Jesus. Jesus went off and he fought the devil. He fasted for 40 days. Ooh, that's going to be tough. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> I'm struggling to fast uh, breakfast and lunch, by the way, <laughs> one day a week. So fasting's hard. But the point is not to, like, perfect it. The point isn't to, like, nail it. The point is to experience the grace of God and to turn to receive from him. So there's a missing piece that's really easy to, to not notice. And I want to go back um, this is at the very beginning of Luke chapter 4 and at the very end of his, of his um, uh, walking out of the wilderness. Do we have a slide for that? Yeah. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He faces those three lies, those three temptations that we just talked about. And then at the end it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. What's the character that's missing from this story? It's not a trick question. The Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is the, is the central figure, but Jesus' baptism is one of these rare moments in Scripture where we have all three persons of the Trinity mentioned. The Father is speaking, the Spirit is coming down and filling Jesus, and Jesus is there just receiving it all. Now, the interesting thing is we think about Jesus being the one with all of the power, 
We think about the strength that he had. But the, the really cool thing, the model of, and the point of the story that we're supposed to learn, I think, is that Jesus didn't do it on his own. Jesus modeled depending on his father's voice and receiving the spirit to not only make it through the temptations that he was facing, but then to go out and live a life of power and start his ministry. He, after this, he just he goes off. He starts casting out demons. He starts healing everybody. He starts proclaiming good news to the poor. He starts setting the captives free. He starts opening blind eyes. He raises the dead a couple times. Not too shabby. Y'all, this is not a story about Jesus being so strong and spiritual and going off into the desert to do it on his own. And we should go try to do it on our own too. Do you, do you understand this? Like, is this resonating? We've got a quiet, a quiet group tonight, today. What, what night is it? Day is it? The Holy Spirit is how we abide. This is kind of the main point. All of that was just set up. The real sermon starts now <laughs> with the three minutes that I have left. Abiding is all about intentionally creating space to be with Jesus, usually through cutting out other things, right? Letting go of the distractions, the noise, so that we can be present to receiving God's presence within us. The Holy Spirit is how we abide. He has been poured out onto all of us. He has come, like Jesus was God with us, right? That the incarnation that, that John was talking about, that we celebrate at Christmas. God with us. But Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I leave. Because when I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit. The Father is going to send another one like me who's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. Romans chapter 8, this is, this is a really cool, powerful, I want to read the whole chapter, but I can't. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 14. Go read Romans 8 later. But this is Paul trying to describe kind of this, this picture for us. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The Holy Spirit brings about our adoption to sonship, to daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Did you catch that? It's by the Spirit in us that we understand the truth that we are children of God. It's by the Spirit in us that we're even able to cry out, Abba, Father. He doesn't want you to do it alone. He doesn't want us to try to white knuckle it. He does not look at any one of us and say, when are they going to get their stuff together? 
He says, man, I have poured out my love. I have placed my spirit in you. Remain in my love. Abide in my love. For some reason, maybe because we have an enemy, so many of us get stuck believing that lie that we have to do it all on our own. One last thing that I want to say, and then we're going to practice this. Um, Henry Nouwen, who I mentioned earlier, he, he wrote an awesome book. He wrote several, but The Way of the Heart really describes this process of joining Jesus on, in, in, in the desert, going out into the desert to experience silence and solitude, all of this stuff to, uh, about these lies. But this is what he says. Um, about this whole way of life, but specifically about solitude in this example. He says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society, and we continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this furnace. It is the struggle to die to the false self. But the struggle is far, far beyond our own strength. Anyone who wants to fight his demons with his own weapons is a fool. The wisdom of the desert is that the confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of these practices is to learn to die. The point of these practices is to die to all of the stuff in our life that is holding a grip over our hearts and our minds. I'm convinced more and more that what Jesus wants for each one of us is to simply be free. These practices, abiding in his love, going into the desert, being still, quieting uh, the, the voices, living in silence so that we can hear God. This is resistance. And Jesus came out of his resistance from the enemy Filled with power. The answer that Jesus gives us is not to do more. It's not to try harder. It's not to get more stuff. It's not to be better. The good news is grace. We can't earn it, but we can receive it. We can abide in it. And all of these practices help us do that. And the point is that once we receive it, we can go out and share it with the world can only give away to others what we have received from the Father. There is power in living from this place of connectedness in the love of God. Our insecurities, our fears, and the lies of the enemy no longer hold sway over us. And so the invitation is to come, to receive, to let go of all of the other stuff that we're holding, to just release it. And we do this by the power of the Spirit at work in us. So we're going to take a few minutes and be still. We're going to be silent before the Lord. And again, remember what I said, the point isn't to be silent, but to hear from God. The point isn't to not do anything, but to, to receive from God. The point isn't to be alone, but to be with God. And so we can even, we can learn to cultivate solitude even when we're in crowded rooms of people. So let's all just take a deep breath.
get in a comfortable position, however you're sitting, you know, put your feet on the ground, sit up straight if that's helpful. Let's just take a deep breath. And we pray this ancient prayer a lot. Come, Holy Spirit. It's not because the Spirit wasn't here already. We're just acknowledging his presence. It's really more for us than it is for him. There's a, a breath prayer that I've been practicing as I do this is, God, you're here and I'm here with you. Or I'm here <laughs> and you're here with me. So become aware of the Spirit's presence right now. feel resistance, that's normal. If your mind is wandering, that's normal. Just release it and recenter back to God's presence. Keep your eyes closed. Stay in this posture of receiving. Are you noticing anything in your mind, in your heart, in your body? Some of you might be just kind of noticing a little tingling in your heart. Maybe like those little butterfly feelings. You might be feeling some warmth. You might be feeling something in your hands. These are ways that the spirit works to get our attention into what he's doing. I want to read one more scripture over us, and then we're going to move into a time of ministry as we wrap it up. But this is from Romans 5, 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul writing to a group of people like us learning to practice Jesus' way of life. 
to accept the truth through grace and to live it out by faith. He says, therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him. And we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 